Matt. Mel. Why are we doing this? So uh, this this has come about because we have this story that we tell about the, the place that we live. Uh, this comes up a lot because we live in Philadelphia, but um, Philadelphia yeah. is... It's like so neighborhoody. Like if you meet someone in Philadelphia, and even if you meet someone from out of town who knows anything about Philadelphia, they're always like, "Oh, where in Philadelphia do you live?" And um, and you kind of get uh, categorized by what neighborhood you live in. Yeah, and and the thing is, when we tell people where we live, which is you know in in this interesting crossroads between you know, the historic old city district and the Northern Liberties, it's, the, the it, gentrified hipster district. Right, we're like right on the border. We're we're so on the border between these two neighborhoods that when you tell people that we live on our street. People in Old City don't think that we're in Old City, and people in Northern Liberties don't think that we live in Northern Liberties. Um, but it goes a little further than that, because every time someone asks us the question, where do you live, I'm always like, oh shit, like sit down, because I uh, have to respond to your question with a really long story, um, which is a really interesting long story. I mean people seem to want to hear it and when I tell an abridged when I try to tell an abridged version people are always like wait wait back up tell me more about that and tell me more about this um and right, it, but it's like I've got a half hour right I, I have to go do something else right, I can't right. talk about this and yeah it just becomes <laughs> like this fucking two hour saga of storytelling and I've probably like how many times have you told the story oh, hundreds uh, hundreds of times. Yeah, it has to be like over 300 times for me that I've told this story and I don't even leave my house and like or socialize in any great way and I still have ended up telling this story that many times. Um, it's, it's self-reinforcing because it we're, we're told it's a great story. Yeah. Uh, and so it, I know for me, um, as somebody who uh, doesn't have as great a command of conversation as I'd like to, it's nice to have something strong to lean on like that. So that's... <laughs> I uh, actually enjoy telling the story because it, it, it helps me uh, with with conversation and storytelling practices. Well, I get really sick of telling it over and over again, actually, um, uh, to the point where like I start, I know I start cutting corners on it and I've started to, you know, when you tell a story so many times, the details start to blur away. Yeah. So we're going to make this podcast. Mm hmm. And we're going to include all of the crazy details about bones and dirty Polaroids and, and, and pedophiles and magicians and just all of the stuff that people are always like, back up, back up. And you're like, I need to leave. And my voice is hoarse and I can't tell the story anymore. Tell it all in a podcast. Mm -hmm. And then when people say, where do you live? We'll just say... Uh, here, go to this web address, boghouse.thehanna.org. Take a seat. You're in the boghouse. Okay, so I feel like since this is the first episode, we should probably introduce ourselves just a little bit, not too much. Um, 
Hi, I'm Melissa, and this is my husband, Matt. That's me. Um, Matt, tell everyone who you are. Sure. So, I'm Matt Dunphy. Uh, I grew up in central Pennsylvania and uh, made my way out here to Philadelphia by way of Melissa, who uh, dragged me out into the uh, East Coast megalopolis by way of meeting me through a Nine Inch Nails website that I've been running since 1995. Uh, that's a whole other long, convoluted story. Yeah, maybe we'll tell that story one day, but that's not what this is about yeah. today. Um, professionally, I, I've been working in e-commerce for about 12 years, and uh, on the side, uh, I've always dabbled in music. Um, I've played in a couple of shitty punk bands, I say that lovingly, uh, and uh, I also have a, you know, a whole mess of synthesizers and have been doing uh, experimental electronic music for a long time as, as sort of a fun thing. Well, uh, I'm Melissa Dunphy, um, and uh, Matt and I have been married for 15 and a half years right now. I in think. 2019. Is that? Yeah, 29. Right. Later this year, we're going to be celebrating our 16th, um, which is a really long time because we got married when we were teeny tiny little babies. <laughs> um, like when I hear about 23-year-olds now getting married, I'm like, whoa, slow your roll. You can't get married. You're still a baby. And just ignore my story because that was different. Um, so <laughs> so uh, I'm Australian originally. Now I'm a dual citizen. See, I said dual like an American. Dual, 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 dual citizen um and uh i am primarily a composer um i have my ivy league phd i'm fulfilling my um ivy league stereotype by announcing right at the top that i went to an ivy league uh phd program um and uh, i uh teach at rutgers university um it, music composition and i I'm generally like a freelance composer. I do a lot of choral music and a lot of vocal music, and I've been recently branching out into some more instrumental stuff. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I've done some acting, I've done some, some music performance. I have some acting, whatever. <laughs> She's downplaying. But, I know. I, and uh, um, and I, I love cats, and we have three of them that... Um, will probably interrupt us at some point during this podcast. Okay, so that's enough. So in order to tell the story, I think it, it really makes sense to start um, at the beginning of our journey in the in terms of our relationship with this building. Yeah. Um, so, we might touch on some of the older history, so there, there will be flashbacks. Picture the scene, right? It is um, mid-2014, right? And we were living in a different neighborhood of Philadelphia called West Poplar, um, which is not that far away. It's like a mile and a half, two yeah, miles away from here. And uh, we lived in a really a nice half of a duplex house. It was very nice. It uh, felt weirdly suburban, even though we were in, you know, two miles north of City Hall, one mile north of City Hall in in Philly. Yeah, we we were two blocks from uh, the Met in Philadelphia, um, which just opened, which is a great big venue. Yeah, just reopened. Um, we we had uh, you know a two car driveway and the backyard and three bedrooms and a full size basement. Um, 
but yeah, a, a mile and a half from from City Hall, like and, right in the thick of it. Right, and it was a really nice house, and I kind of like we we, had we great bought neighbors. it. Yeah, yeah, and we sort of thought, well, we could stay here forever if we wanted to, right? But then we kind of also see. Well, you were playing in a bunch of bands. I I was playing in at least a band. I don't know that I was in in a bunch of them at this point. Well, we and we had a band together, the two of us. Yeah, um, and. The only real space where you could practice in the house with the drums and the amps and whatever was in the basement. Which, fortunately, we had very uh, understanding neighbors who uh, told us that over the screaming kids, they didn't care about the drumming <laughs> and, and the loud noises. It just blends Yay! into the background. Screaming kids um, giving us license to practice drums. Um, but the basement was also... okay. Um, time out. I'm going to introduce you to one of our cats, Moonlight. She is gray and fluffy, and she's our oldest cat, and she's going to live forever because she's so dumb. Like, I love her. She's a really nice cat, but she's just mentally not very bright. She's not a, she's not a problem solver, and she um, poops next to the litter box rather than in the litter, the litter box. And if you try and discourage her from pooping next to the litter box, she will instead poop far away from the litter box. But she will not poop in it. She will pee in it, but she won't poop in the litter box. So what that meant was that the basement, it was very difficult to have a poo-free basement. You know, I, I, I often <laughs> say when whether you're talking about work or, or your hobbies and, and things, that environment is really important. Yeah. Um, it, it contributes a lot to the enthusiasm um, in, in doing what you're doing. And uh, I think the ultimate point here is a, a basement wasn't, you know, it was it was nice, but we had designs for something bigger. Yeah. Um, and Philadelphia really presents a unique opportunity, uh, at, at least in 2014 more so, um, in that... <laughs> They're you sound like a real estate agent. Philadelphia presents a unique opportunity to acquire property. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's true. Um, being this this former industrial area uh, surrounding this city, um, there were a lot of live workspace opportunities where right. you could get uh, essentially an oversized garage attached to a loft for an affordable price and still be in the city. And uh, between Melissa and I, we, we have been growing our collection of music instruments. Uh, and it's it's not, you know, just to, to hang on the walls. We, we use this stuff, um, whether it's us performing or uh, Melissa, for example, is the music director of the National Puppetry Conference. And Well, and also, um, so at this point in 2014, I was um, ABD, and uh, before what's uh, ABD, ABD mean for all, us rubes? All but uh, all but dissertation. So I'd finished all my coursework for my PhD, mm -hmm. and I was just trying to do my dissertation, which was um, the first act of a full-length opera about the sex life of Ayn Rand. Um, and uh, so many a few years before, I had 
wrote a piece called the Gonzales Cantata and I did my own production of the piece um, in a venue in West Philly and uh, and it got really big and it got like it went viral and I got um, on on TV and all of this stuff it was great um, but I sort of had this idea that when I finished my PhD I probably wanted to have a space where I could put on my own performances perhaps like even as like a garage concert or a house concert or like a salon of some kind so that I could um, showcase my own works and bring in my composer buddies of whom I had plenty and we could you know um, have a space to use yeah so looking for a live workspace yeah um, and we I, I got into a point professionally where I think it, it made sense to see what was out there to plan for some time in the future uh, to to look into getting one of these live workspaces. Yeah, and you know what's really addictive is um, Zillow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zillow, for those uh, listening way in the future after everything has been consolidated. Yeah, after civilization falls apart. <laughs> is uh, this, this real estate website... Um, that makes it really easy to filter through results. Um, you know, it's not in, in the days of old when you had to go through an agent per se. You're just sort of picking price ranges and neighborhoods and seeing what's out there. And we were like looking at Zillow, both of us, as this like, hey, maybe five years from now, maybe five years from now in like 2019, maybe we'll like buy a place then. Like we'll have better finances and, you know, we'll have have become adults. <laughs> All right, like if we start saving our money and we save our money for five years, we'll have enough for a down payment. Yeah, it'd be for, great. You know, let's let's look at what we could afford for a, a down payment that we could uh, save up for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if if everything just froze for five years. Sure. Um, so and then the first, so the first thing I remember, um, there was a house just down the street from us. Yeah. that went up for sale, like literally a block and a half from our current house, duplex house that we lived in. Um, and when we looked at the listing, there was a massive garage. Like, I'm pretty sure the place had used to be, used to be like, like a car, like a mechanics garage or something. Like this Yeah, huge... it was part of this automotive, um, automotive space that... Uh, the other side of it, which was unrelated at this point, had been converted into uh, apartments. But this, um, when you look at the pictures, was just a, a large, wide open space. Mm -hmm. um, and then... It's um, like skylight. And, yeah, uh, it was like a quite a nice space. It was a massive heater in it, I remember, um, uh, that was yeah. like gas powered or something right. and then there was um like a smallish apartment above it it was probably like i don't know six, it was attached like into the side 600 square feet or something it was small it, it, yeah it was smaller than, than it would have been certainly a downsize in from terms what we, of living space yeah um but they and the reason that this place existed i sorry this is like a total sidebar but i'm gonna i thought this was fascinating anyway the guy who owned this place was a romanian sculptor who had sculpted with um with giga with hr giga who you may know from the design of the alien in the aliens movies yes um and uh he made these huge you know monument sculptures that were like really um 
beautiful and epic. Um, and he would do that in the garage. So actually, when we looked at the place, we kind of so sort of on a whim, we were like, well, let's just call up an agent and ask if we can look like no yeah, harm in down that. The street. Whatever. So we went and looked at the place and there, I feel like there were still sculptures in the basement, like plaster. There was in, no basement. Uh, not the basement, in the garage. You know yeah. what I'm saying? In the garage, <laughs> like plaster. Yeah. Uh, so he's he, he works in, in bronze. Um, right. And... Yeah, uh, it, on top of the plaster uh, casts, um, he also had, it was this huge table made of, like, trees. Oh, that's right. <laughs> anyway, about that. it was a large space. It was huge. And we will. I was thinking, like, as we go through it, we were like, wow, we could do, like, a really interesting little concert yeah. like, venue here, like a little private house concert venue. This is interesting. But they were asking for $600,000 yep. for it. Which, in Philadelphia terms, in 2014, was on the higher end of oh, was pretty the budget. Yeah. yeah, and so we kind of looked at it, and then we were like, mm, "Thanks, but no thanks," and we let that be. But that that sort of sparked the the fire there, where I had something to measure against. Somebody is asking for six hundred thousand dollars for an ample work live space. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see what else is out there. And, you know, uh, I, I would occasionally open up Zillow and just see what is out there for, let's say, under $500,000. Um, and uh, I would put in at, at least 1,300 square feet because that's how much square footage we had in the house that we lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, and because uh, where I had lived before was about a 40 minute walk from work uh i thought i would you know shoot for the moon that's um pretty incredible i work right in old city i you know i can look out of one of the back windows in our office building and see ben franklin's house that that whole area back there um so yeah i I had these unlikely parameters uh under half a million dollars uh two miles from the old city district um, and apparently you would like get on Zillow and I mean I guess we both did this to some degree but it would become like this sleep procrastination tool like <laughs> oh like so many things in the internet you find some way to just your mind just kind of idles or is just above idle mm-hmm. while you're doing something that yeah. is yeah, just rewarding enough that you keep clicking I'll shop for discount shoes sometimes like that yeah, I, it's I a, don't anymore it's but. completely stupid <laughs> It's stupid. Not, not <laughs> you doing that. No, I'm saying human stupid. behavior. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's so dumb. It's yeah. like you should just go to bed. Right. And instead, it's like one o'clock in the morning and you're mindlessly searching through like real estate listings just to see, just to look for no good yeah. reason. Right. OK, so I was not searching through real estate listings at this time. I was probably I was probably looking for shoes. I don't even know. I, w- I just remember I was in um, my office. So we had this three bedroom duplex and the, there were two bedrooms next to each other that we had converted into like my office and Matt's office. Um, and I'm in my office doing who fucking knows what. And then I hear from Matt's office, Mel, 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 can you come in here? Get Take in a here. look at this. <laughs> so, so like just before that, like what did you see? So looking with those parameters just about everything that came up was a vacant lot 
or a condo, you know, nothing, nothing at all that worked for what uh, our purposes were. Um, but a listing came up for what was marketed as a single bedroom studio apartment with three bathrooms and 2,200 square feet. Uh, the the front of it. Wait, wait. I should explain. Like, I don't know um, if you're if you if people understand real estate listings, but mm. basically, um, you know, a studio apartment should be like a one room apartment. So basically, a hotel room. So for a studio apartment to have three bathrooms is utterly ridiculous. And then twenty two hundred square feet. I don't even know what that is in metric because I've become American destroyer of worlds it's but not it's, a studio it's really huge yeah. like it's like a warehouse sized thing so it does it just doesn't make any sense for it and how and it was um it was 425 wait wait i got some notes it was listed originally at four uh 45 uh, 450 so i think by the time i had seen it it might have dropped down to 425 but the original listing was oh. 450,000. Wait, my notes say that it was a re- when you saw it, it was listed at three seventy five, but it had gone on the market in uh, for four fifty. There we go. Okay. This is why we're doing this. Yeah, I know because we just fuck up the details. <coughs> okay, so um, nonetheless, yeah. that was well within the bounds and really um, weird, just like a weird listing. Yeah, uh, and and the first picture, uh, it looked like this shabby two story row home. Um, you know, it it was kind of ugly. Um, so I clicked the next picture and, uh, it was a lobby. Like what, what? Like everything was in red and, and like velvet and mirrors and shitty brass. And, uh, I, I clicked. And there were like posters on the wall. Oh, well, yeah. Like, I, uh, like, like old timey looking posters. Right. And, and, um, little fake candelabras. Like it's, uh not a studio apartment. I click again and it's a different angle of the lobby. And finally I get to the third picture. Um, and that is a proscenium stage. What is going on? And at this point, uh, this is when I call Melissa in because this is also even closer. Um, this is we're again, we're looking at the border of, uh, the, the neighborhood, that old city neighborhood, um, there's no way this should be $375,000. And how have I not heard of this theater? Yeah, so um, I came in and, you know, one of the reasons Matt's calling me in is because you know, I've worked in a lot of theaters around Philadelphia. And so I should know about theaters. And this was clearly a theater. And did I know anything about this? And so I look at it and I'm like, I have no clue what this is. Um, but the address is on the listings. And I'm like, Google the address, Google the address. So we Google the address and it comes up. Grasso's Magic Theater. Grasso's Magic Theater. Okay. And I'm Matt's like, have you ever heard of that? I'm like, no. no. I've never heard of that in my life. It is only, you know, 15 blocks away from where we live, but I have no clue what that is. Uh, so I'm like, Google. Google Grasso's Magic Theater. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's where... Oh, God. All of this, you know, we, we're really elated. This is one thirty in the morning. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 this really exciting listing. It's it's well within the range of what we could do if we saved up our money eventually. But when we looked at the Google results for Grasso's Magic Theater, that's when everything kind of went, oh. <sighs> so here is what we found. 
There was an article in the Philadelphia Daily News from April 15th of 2014. Um, Which is in about a month or two before. Right. I think we were looking at this stuff in June or July. Yeah. Um, So this is April um, of that year. Owner of Old City Magic Venue accused of assault. Hmm. By Jason Nock. Here we go. The owner of an Old City Magic Theater allegedly revealed a dark secret. <laughs> Fuck you, Philadelphia Daily News. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't put puns into this story. We really shouldn't. Anyway, the owner of an Old City Magic venue allegedly revealed a dark secret at his home in Montgomery County last month, police said, then threatened to make himself disappear. I can't believe this is the first sentence of the story. No, of course. This I mean, this is you, this, this is the kind of story you, as a, a writer in a newspaper, have fun with. No! Like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell the rest of it without laughing because it's actually fucking horrible. Okay, Joseph Grasso, 69, of Tower Menson Township, will make a special appearance in district court again will make a special appearance in district court in Lansdale today accused of molesting a 13-year-old girl living with him and his wife. Yeah. Grasso opened Grasso's Magic Theatre at Callahill and Front Streets in 2009. The small venue hosted magic shows for families and children, along with burlesque for adults. I always loved magic since I was a kid, Grasso told the Daily News in 2012. According to a criminal complaint, Grasso's wife was making breakfast at the couple's home on Broxton Court um, on March 29 when she entered the living room and saw her husband on the couch with his hand beneath the girl's pajama top. Grasso's wife, according to the complaint, immediately confronted him. It's not what you think it is, Grasso replied, according to the complaint. Jesus Christ. Grasso also threatened to kill himself at the home, his wife told police, holding a steak knife to his chest before she and the girl, who had been living there almost a year, left for the police station. Grasso was arrested April 1st and is charged with aggravated indecent assault, child endangerment and other offenses and remains in Montgomery County Jail in lieu of $250,000 bail. According to the criminal complaint, the 13-year-old victim told police that Grasso had molested her the prior night too while she watched television in the home's rec room. Grasso's wife, according to the complaint, told police that the girl admitted Grasso had been molesting her two to three times per week touching her breasts and genital areas starting uh, almost as soon as she moved there in April 2013. The Daily News is withholding the girl's relationship to Grasso to protect her identity. Grasso, according to the complaint, told the girl he would go to prison if she ever told anyone, quote, and it would be her fault. No one answered the door yesterday at Grasso's home or Grasso's Magic Theatre. The theatre's website said all shows were cancelled due to unforeseen, which is misspelled and there's a sick, circumstances. And an answering machine message said it was closed, quote, indefinitely. One magician who performed at Grasso's was Jeffrey R. Leach, a South Jersey magician and registered sex offender. He performed at the theatre as Jeff Carson. New Jersey officials said there was nothing barring Leach from performing as a magician around children. Officers with the local Society of American Magicians did not return phone calls and emails for comment. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I remember... <laughs> It's so fucking horrible. <laughs> like, 
Like what? Wow, right? Like yeah. Uh, so you know, uh, sir. Um, suddenly, it's very apparent why this building is up for sale. Right, and like three months, it actually is clear that like there was a mortgage on the property, and after you know a certain amount of time, the the building is going to go into foreclosure. So the whoever owns the property hasn't been paying the mortgage and they're trying to offload it as fast as possible before mm-hmm. it gets foreclosed on. Okay, so I want to take a little time out from this fascinating real estate story to talk about magic for a second. Okay, um, I had not really thought about magic before. Um, particularly, you know, I'm a feminist and I think about art forms that I'm involved in in a feminist way. I think about how there's uh, less representation of women in composing, for instance. It's still a very male-heavy genre, but there are women who have been very successful composers. Uh, Similar things are true of, like, uh, conducting and uh, playwriting and, you know, a lot of these kinds of fields. Um, But I had not really thought about magic because it's not something that I'm generally involved with, but I started thinking about it because of this horrifying story Um, and here's the thing I ask this question all the time when I get into this conversation and nobody has ever really been able to to answer it to my satisfaction uh, or you know to their own satisfaction can you how many female professional headlining magicians can you name crickets every time most people generally are like I can't name any or if they can they'll be like I have a friend who um, paints faces and does small magic shows at at the fair or something but it's not like the professional touring stage show magician people can't name any women Um, which is interesting because like I said I have nothing to do with magic but I can name probably at least half a dozen um, famous male magicians who have their own TV shows and have their own, you know, Las Vegas residencies where they do magic and are well known as like America's top magician or whatever. Um, like that's a lot, like a half a dozen considering I don't know anything about magic. And, you know, like remember how huge like David Copperfield was and like Chris Angel had his own dumb show that. <laughs> Everyone just like mocked and, and of uh, course there's Penn and Teller, although they're they're just one guy really. Yeah, right, right. Penn and Teller and Siegfried and Roy yeah. and you know their tigers or whatever and like Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini. If we were talking historically, you know, there's magicians that way and like all the magicians that you hear about, like the great so and so or you know the amazing so and so, they're all dudes and. Uh, and it's always, like you think of a magician. Think of a magician right now. You're thinking of a guy. But it's shocking to me that um, I'm always going on about how there are, uh, there's a terrible gender imbalance in composing and in conducting. But I can at least name amazing examples of women in the top tier of composition and conducting who um, have, have found success. I can't name a single female magician, not one. Um, and then let's think about that a little deeper. When a woman is in a magic show, she's generally dressed um, in a very sexually suggestive way, um, as opposed to the man who's, you know, generally in a suit or fully clothed. Um, 
and she gets locked in a coffin-like box and has swords thrust into her, like paging Dr. Freud. And then she has her head cut off and she gets sawn in half and she's allowed to smile and scream. That's it. She doesn't really drive the action. She, I am told by magician... Um, friendly people that the the woman assistant of course because she's always the assistant um, often is the person driving the tricks uh, behind the scene but in some ways that's like even worse because the all of the credit goes to the guy magician and none of the credit goes to the assistant like you know if she's named at all (laughs) she'll just be like a first name or whatever um so there's this as a problem okay and then let's go let's take this one step further right so magicians bread and butter the thing that most professional magicians earn their money on is children's shows um like people who are able to say that their main source of income is magic generally are doing you know 300 shows a year and most of them are children's shows at various children's events um so actually, a, a way to describe being a professional magician is that you are a professional gaslighter of children. <laughs> like, think of it this way. Serial killers are to clowns as child rapists are to magicians. I said it. I'm going to state that in SAT terms, right? This, this, this is what, like, when you think of clowns, you think of serial killers, right? That's what you think of. That's why everyone's so freaking afraid of clowns. This is what we should think about magicians until they fix it. I don't know. That's just me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so all this transpires in, in you know, a, a period of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we see this wacky property that goes beyond live workspace. Like it's a functioning venue right up into the point where it isn't. Um, and uh, we just, I end up, I couldn't sleep that night just thinking about all the possibilities of just this one building. Yeah, we were both like lying, like ramrod straight in bed, unable to sleep. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, looking through the history of what it had been doing besides the magic show, they they would have like little jazz shows and um, what we could do with a place like that. Right. Um, Cause here's the thing. Um, aside from any other mistakes, Mr. Grasso made in his life, um, they weren't that great at marketing because right. I, I worked in theater um, and I still do work in theater, as, mostly as a composer now. And we live 15 blocks away from this place, and I had never heard of it. No. Um, so that, to me, is a marketing deficit. And, uh, and they're in, in an incredible location. Yeah. Like, it's the, the, they're a block from the, the subway station, which is also a, a bus stop. They're it's right two next blocks to a huge away, parking lot. Right. It's two blocks away from the Fringe Arts Theater right. and a few blocks away from uh, the Painted Bride uh, Theater, which is close by. Yeah. So, you know, and yeah, the Delaware Waterfront is opening up and providing like recreational spaces within very short walking distance. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, we we go to bed, but we don't sleep because here's this thing that that is right here, right now. Um, what what do we do about that? Maybe 
maybe even though we're not going to be ready. We're not going to have the money to do anything like this until, you know, 2019. Right. This was not in the cards, but why don't we go through the motions? Yeah. Let's let's pretend like we're going to buy it because yeah. there are things that we know that we don't know. Right. Like we 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 bought a house before. We knew how to buy a simple residential house, but this is a really different project. This is like, you know, we're probably going to need to do some construction. Um, oh, so I should mention, so the um, the theater had this tiny 480 square foot efficiency apartment on top of where the lobby of the theater was. So you go up some stairs and there's this tiny little apartment there with like a tiny little bathroom um, and uh, it was like way too small for two adults and three cats. If it was just us, we might have been able to make it work. But like our cats, like two of them actually kind of really hate each other. And um, you may hear them like scream fighting at some point during this podcast <laughs> because they do that sometimes. Um, they don't injure each other. They just really hate each other and they would be very upset to be in that confined environment. So in a lot of ways, it, it wasn't the perfect fit for what we were doing, but it presented an interesting learning opportunity. Um, we didn't have $375,000, so we had nothing to lose by pretending that we did. Right. And and I mean, maybe we could have gotten... A, we, we like, I wonder if we would qualify for a loan for $375,000. Like, maybe that's a possibility. I don't even know. Let's... Let's see what happens when you try to buy this place. Um, so we called, oh, we like put in the email. Um, right in the, 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 the entry for Remax, right. which was listing it. It's like, please request a viewing of this property. And you hit the little button. And uh, the next day we got an email from um, a, real estate, a nice real estate agent from the main line, Gene. <laughs> Um, who uh, invited us to um, take a look at the property, um, which we did. So this was in July. Yeah. Very soon after. The she got founded. right back to you. Yeah. Like she was the, like the next day. She yeah. was like, boom. Okay, let's talk. Um, so this first, the first time we saw it, it was both of us the first time, right? I know there was one time it was just me. I think it was just you. Was it just me the yeah. first time? Okay. Sidebar for a second. Um Previous to this story, the weirdest property viewing I had ever done um, was when we were, before we bought the duplex um, that we were living in in West Poplar, we were looking for, you know, a house to live in Philadelphia. We weren't too sure what we were looking at. And, uh, you know, we just kind of put in a price range and a real estate agent took us to this place um, in Graduate Hospital neighborhood. And... Um, it looked like a regular row home from the outside, but when you go in the front door of it, it was weird because the kitchen was at the front of the of the home. And normally, if you know anything about row homes in the Northeast, the kitchen is usually further back. Like the front room of a row home is generally some kind of living room, um, like a, with couches or somewhere to put your television. You can like look anywhere out. you live, you're not going to enter the front of the house and, and go and into it's a like kitchen. Immediately the kitchen, right? So we was like, wow, this house is really trippy. Why is that? That's strange. And then as we go further into the house. Um, 
you know, it was like super dirty, like it was and falling apart. It was like, oh, it needs to. This is a gut job, you know. And we, I went up the stairs to the to the um, second floor, and I turned out from the stairs, and the first thing I saw was a bar, like, like in a pub, like in a bar, with a mirrored back shelf um, where you would put all of the spirits and things like that, and then. I sort of turned 90 degrees from there and I saw a little stage with a stripper pole. Um, <laughs> and this is when I was like, holy shit, come up here. And then Matt, Matt on the real estate agent comes up and this real estate agent, his name was Steve, who's this older guy. who was just like jaw on the floor. Like he could not, he was like, this this is one for the books. This is um, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. So this was like this weird little speakeasy strip club there was a second stripper pole in the back of the uh, row home and then up on the third floor there was like another story up on the third floor there was the only clean beautiful new room in the house which was this incredible marble bathroom with a huge jacuzzi with jets yeah so <laughs> the rest of it was just- like Oh my god! Like it was, years of, co- of of nicotine, yeah, like on the walls. If you know anything about foam and how foam degrades, like they had this brown foam on the wall that I was just way past its prime for like for like soundproofing of some kind. Cause if you know nothing about soundproofing, <laughs> you glue foam to the wall. It's not how well, they it have to. Keep, they have to put the uh, like strip of music requires a lot of bass. Yeah, and, and you know, and you foam does dance. nothing for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're in this this quiet little neighborhood. Where they look like brownstones. So yeah. you know, mid 19th century, really beautiful houses, and this was the nuisance house. I, yeah, I just couldn't stop thinking about like <laughs> what all of the neighbors must have thought of of this house. Like if they they must have known what was going on. Oh, it's yeah. just crazy. Anyway, so this prior to this was like the weirdest. So I guess what I'm saying is like I'm used to some level of real estate weirdness in our small time real estate endeavors. When you buy cheap, you're going to have to buy weird. Right. But going into Grasso's Magic Theater was definitely another <laughs> level of weird. So... Here are the things, um, and I'm I'm going both from my memory and also um, I think because it was just me who was able to go to the showing, I basically took you know hundreds of pictures um, on my cell phone so I could show Matt uh, what everything looked like when uh, when he got home from work. So I remember um, we I think we went into the theater space first and the first thing I see is a mannequin that's a life-size mummy, like an Egyptian mummy figure um, with handcuffs and a wizard hat on. Um, There was also um, a bed of nails was like in that space. Then as you go to the back of the lobby, there was a little gift shop area, like a magic gag gift shop where you could get all kinds of weird I've I've been to it's funny I I I never went to magic shows but there was a magic shop in uh, New Freedom Pennsylvania where I grew up uh-huh. and they had this sort of stuff it's right. like fart powder right right and right like itch powder stink and, perfume right right and and there's there's handshake things that buzz you when you shake someone's hands which I'm just like what 
I don't understand. And um, oh, and so the thing that I remember picking up at that time was this misogynist talking doll, which I was like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. It was supposed to be modeled after some insult comic that I had never heard of. And it literally had a pull cord in the back and you pulled the cord. And then he basically like rehashed Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield jokes. Like if Rodney was, Dangerfield was just an insufferable asshole. Right, right. It was just like. <laughs> It was just like it was just like an how asshole is this doll. funny? I mean, I guess uh, the concept of like a dickhead doll is like funny. I don't know. It was just really, I don't know. Um, yeah. So the the magic gift shop was gift shop was still full of these kinds of things. Um, in so can you imagine like <laughs> making a doll of yourself that says things that you say? Like I, I'm trying to imagine what kind of person this is because they were not funny insults <laughs> it was like an eight-year-old but this guy is clearly in his like 30s yeah and he still thinks that these are are, are funny insulting things to say right and like, then he commissioned a doll you'd be better off making a doll that makes your mom jokes like they were sure. below your mom yeah no level. definitely and there were like a lot of them like you keep pulling it the cord going. and they were like there were like 20 <laughs> quotes that from him and none of them were good and i guess i'm not imagining him in this you know being on stage entertainment thing i'm imagining this doll being one of my friends <laughs> being like who keeps inviting this guy to parties cuz i'm sick of him he's <laughs> fucking stupid <laughs> anyway so <laughs> like, i know we just like fixated on this doll but it's a thing um so um, i've forgotten all about it i know the doll, <laughs> i don't even remember the name of the comic that it was supposed to be i mean clearly he was like a magician comic i don't know so I go into the main theater part and uh, I go up to the stage and the first thing I notice is that the stage has this beautiful wooden floor that looks like vintage wood and uh, apparently the wood itself was pulled from the demo trash site uh, of the Divine Lorraine. Um, so the Divine Lorraine is this um, hotel or it was at some point a hotel um, in Philadelphia on Broad Street, which is the main street that runs north-south in Philadelphia. And it's actually quite close to where we used to live in West Poplar. Um, and, and it's got a really interesting history behind it. If you look up Father Divine, uh, I, I want to say it was one of the first integrated hotels in, in Philadelphia. Um, but uh, It's like a really iconic building. Yeah, it's uh, it's got that classic, when you think of hotel signs, like neon signs with the name of the hotel, it would have Divine Lorraine Hotel on the roof uh, facing north and south. Um, but... It had sat vacant for a long time. I know now it's it's very recently reopened as a, a apartment, mm -hmm. um, but it went through this really sad period where it, it had essentially been abandoned, um, purchased, uh, and and there's a funny story. I, I like to think that the developer who currently uh, is operating it uh, is is like a time traveler in a way uh, because this guy. He he purchased the His name Divine is Lorraine. Eric Blumenfeld, right? He's yeah. also the developer who did the Met that we mentioned earlier. Yes, uh, he's really taken it upon himself to to try and bring up the North Broad uh, area of Philadelphia. Um, he bought the Divine Lorraine like I don't know over a decade ago, um, well over a decade ago now, uh, with the intention of rehabbing it. Um, but then the market was going 
gangbusters and around the peak of the market before the big crash in 2008, 2009, he sold it off at a tremendous profit to other developers. And he hadn't done anything on it at this stage. Like he just kind of bought it and then sat on it for a bit and then sold it at a profit. Yeah. Um, and these other developers came in, uh, they gutted it, they they took everything out. Which is like an incredibly expensive process. I mean, all, everything about construction, as, as, as we've learned, everything <laughs> about construction is incredibly expensive. But even the demo part, which you kind of think like, oh, come on. Any idiot with a sledgehammer can demo, but it's it's Not actually when you're dealing with like a building as old a, as the divine right, ring, a huge yeah. building, and actually the, probably the most expensive part of demo is the amount of trash and like paying to get rid of that trash. So this developer did all that, um, but then the market crashed, uh, so they ran were out of money, just sitting on a vacant building. <laughs> Who comes along later? Eric Blumenfeld again. Goes, and buys it back from them, I think, for less than he uh, originally sold paid it, for it. Right. Like, <laughs> less so than he sold it to them for, He in got any case. paid to get somebody else to gut the building I mean, for him. Brilliant. It's, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, during anyway. that process, uh, our, our, our previous owner Mr. of this Grasso, building, Mr. Grasso. The guy um, who made many mistakes, not <laughs> least of which was being a freaking child molester. Mm. Okay. Uh, he's a bit of a, you know constructive hoarder um he found that they had all this wood planking there uh old floors from the divine lorraine and, and he took it took it and i have it, no and idea stage out of that yeah and i have no idea if he took it above board or below board because there certainly is a history and a, well it's not a history it's like a culture in philadelphia of raiding say it wasn't great I mean, flooring it yeah. was probably in the trash. It, it might have been, but even then, like, you're supposed to ask before raiding the trash and construction sites, and I wonder if he did. It doesn't matter. Anyway, another thing that he did, uh, I remember this stage had these beautiful velvet curtains, and I was told that they were pulled from a dumpster outside the Merriam Theater, yeah. which is another venue here in Philadelphia, and then they paid, you know, quite a decent amount of money to have them sized for the space so that they worked as curtains for our space. Uh, I'm talking about it like it's our space. Like, at this point, it was not our space. At this point, I was just a moron, a complete idiot, who was trying to figure out what it was like to buy a theater. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, so we, I went up... Um, oh, oh, wait. Back in the theater, there was also a disco ball above the stage. <laughs> the seats were pews. The seats were church pews. There were a bunch of, like uneven church pews and actually one of the things that bothered me the most about the space which like oh, it even just talking about it now it makes me want to die was that um the whole space was about 15 feet wide um because oh the whole property is 16 feet wide by 100 feet deep. So if you're thinking about the floor plan of this property as I'm walking through it's like lobby and then behind the lobby bathrooms and then behind the bathrooms the audience part of the auditorium and then the stage is toward the back of the property and then behind the stage is the backstage area it's all this like shotgun layout um, of a theater it works really well for the small space um, so the proscenium was off center this bothered me <laughs> so fucking much that there was like one foot of wings on stage left and there was like three foot of wings on stage right. 
And so if you're facing the proscenium in a 15-foot wide space, which is not very wide, so you can tell when it's not symmetrical. And it was, like, incredibly asymmetrical for, like, not a good reason. Oh, my God. It just made me hurt. So... That, that, that was kind of a theme in the building. Even the second story, which had what looked like modern bricks and turned out to be, um, it's got two windows, and you would think... You would think you would build those symmetrically, but they're just a little off. Yeah, just ooh, just enough to make you be like, shit, oh, why? And <laughs> so it, oh. Anyway, so that really, really bothered me. But then um, some other really amazing features was that there was um, plumbing around the stage specifically built for a fog machine. And I think at that point, the fog machine was still in the space. Mm-hmm. So there was like these little sort of periscope-shaped pipes at the sides of the stage where they could just fill the stage with smoke. And then at the back of the of the whole theater, there was a like um, a fan that would blow the smoke out of the theater quickly. So of course, for magic shows, right? Oh, the curtains were electrified, which I thought was amazing as uh, well. Like you, there was like a push button that you could like push and it would be like. And you could open close. and close them from the DJ booth. <laughs> so great so anyway so this was like this amazing theater space um so then uh up on the second floor in this little efficiency apartment um it was sort of unclear if anybody had lived there on a permanent long-term basis but clearly people had crashed there yeah. um yeah. at some point um and there was this like luxurious gas fireplace which is like really nice gas fireplace um, which was really bizarre Um, and uh, I remember there was like a lot of um, like Catholic accoutrement (laughs) I wouldn't say a lot there was definitely enough but you haven't been to places with a lot I mean I guess a lot Fair enough. I mean, it's not like he had like a life-size Virgin Mary up there or anything, yeah. but there were like a bunch of crucifixes and uh, like a like at least one Bible, and you know there was some pictures. I think like I feel like there was some you know like a framed Jesus print or something. I don't know. There was. I don't just, think there was a framed Jesus print. Like we would have was. a picture of that. Mm. We would totally have a picture of that. I feel like <laughs> this is this is again why we're doing the podcast is because sometimes the story gets away from itself. Of shit. <laughs> I, I I just remember like clocking that in my head because I knew why like, this of was on the market and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, no. Um, yeah. So and there was um there was actually quite a lot of um nice. Uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Wainscotting. Like, wainscotting, that's it. Like, the guy had built this wainscotting on the walls, which is kind of unnecessary, but, like, looked pretty. Um, but the roof was clearly a mess because there were huge tubs all over the apartment that were, like, full of water. Yeah, they hadn't been emptied out. Yeah, like, tons of water. Um, and ceiling falling down with like dripping wet insulation underneath uh, above it and clearly they were gonna like mold was coming in as well like it smelled like mold up there in a really bad way um the shower 
area was like just a fucking mess. Like it was so bad. And there was this tiny little window in the bathroom. Like there was no bathroom fan. It was a was sample this- window. Like, you know, when you go into a hardware store and you see the little sample Anderson windows so you can see how the latch works and how smooth it works. And it's this tiny little window. And somehow he had gotten a hold of one of these and installed it as a real window in the bathroom but in like, the shower in it was yeah it was like in the shower maybe like just to the side i mean he was trying to work with what he had which was not a lot of space but it was super weird it's you know there's a little bit of a sidebar as much as melissa and i are are, are big in the diy sort of thing um there's there's ways of doing it right and then there's all the rest okay yeah so this is like we we started googling and learning about the history of the theater and um you know which is not that long uh, when i i'm talking about just the history of the theater part we'll get into the further history of the building in a later episode but like just the history of the theater part since 2009 mr grasso had built this theater actually primarily for his sons so he had two sons who were really, really into magic. And um, and one of them, um, his name is Michael Grasso, actually got um, a level of, of success, uh, has a level of success. He was a top five finalist on America's Got Talent as a card trick, mostly magician, I think. Yeah, he's, he's toured um, around the world. Yeah, like he's, you know, played these big houses and things like that. Um, but, you know, before I think Michael got big, um, his dad was like, I'm going to build a magic theater for my sons. And so he took some time. So Mr. Grasso um, had worked in construction. Actually, weirdly, he had built sets for films. Um I think in California, like, that would make sense. Certainly that's a story he tells. Right. I mean, they did go to California at some point, according to the neighbors that we've spoken to about around here. Um, And so he had worked as a carpenter on on film sets, doing that kind of thing. Um, So he sort of had some construction knowledge. But here's the thing that I have discovered about... um, people who work in construction or have worked in construction for a long time. Let's say you're in your 60s, right? You learned to do construction well before the internet was a thing. And you probably didn't learn how to do it out of books because there were you could get an apprenticeship and learn how to do construction on the job. And you would learn how to do it in the 60s and 70s. And then... A lot of those old-time construction workers, I mean, some of them are very good at what they do, but a lot of them kind of learn how to do something and then never learn to update or modernize their methods, ever. And they don't learn what code is. And they don't learn, you know, how the code updates over the years. And they don't, you know, have any engineering skills, really. They're just kind of on-the-job learners. They've been able to make money doing what they do, so they keep doing what they do. Right. So Matt and I have done a bunch of renovation, and every time we do renovation, we research the fuck out of how to do each stage of renovation, and we're lucky. We're very privileged because the internet is a freaking gold mine of information on construction, and there are forums where you can talk to experts, and there are YouTube videos where you can compare different methods, and there are code books that you can buy and actually read the building code, you know, before you start to do anything. Um... 
and with the end result that you know you can learn to do very good work and sometimes your work as someone who learns modern methods is going to be a lot better than someone who's just been sort of self-taught and hasn't updated their methods since the 70s this is the excuse that i'm giving Grasso for this theatre. Another thing about the theatre, though, is that we found an article um, where he interviewed with a local rag where he basically admitted that he built the whole theatre out of trash. Yeah. (laughs) So he would just raid trash heaps of other construction sites for materials. Uh, And then whatever materials he had, he would fashion a wall. As we discovered <laughs> later, he would just like, uh, yeah, they would just, you know, he would just figure it out and just sort of bang stuff together and nail it together. And, you know, uh, congratulations, you have a wall. Oh, do you not have any electrical tape uh, to uh, or any, you know, twisty tops to join these electrical connections together? No worries. Just use duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> just like twist them together and use duct tape. Not a problem. It's easy. You know. <laughs> like, Amazing. So, yeah. yeah um anyway. It so, was it was yeah. pretty clear that this this second story hadn't been lived in so much as you know it's been crashed in and uh, it was certainly cobbled together from yeah yeah so another thing that we learned um, in research around about this point was that the property owed forty two thousand dollars in property tax to the city of Philadelphia so basically that me- means. He had never paid property tax in the entire time that he had owned this property. He had just never, ever paid the bill. Um, And if you do that in Philly, you start to accrue fees and, uh, and penalties and interest rates. So that now this property had 40, it's just like astonishing to me, $42,000 in back taxes owing. Um, and if you were to buy the property at this point, you would be liable yeah. for an extra $42,000 payment to the city of Philadelphia um, at the time you bought it. So this, again, was still way out of our range. Yeah. This this is just further insurance that... We're, yeah, we're, we're going just, through. And, we're just pretending. Yeah. So we're just playing house, literally playing house. <laughs> so given all of that, I mean, this seems like an impossible thing, right? Right. We're we're very in a very safe place where we can continue to learn. This is part of our research process for right. what we're going to be doing in five years. Right. And like, I remember just being very like of two minds like very bifurcated sort of outlooks at this point because on one one hand i was like this is an incredible Mm. thing Mm -hmm. like i can't believe i was disappointed that we weren't going to be able to buy it right like on one hand there was like a part of me that's like maybe (laughs) maybe we could maybe something will happen and we'll maybe we can and then there's another part of me that's like melissa you're a grad student you know, um, Matt's working his butt off at his job, but like, you know, I'm not bringing that much money to the table. Um, and we don't really have enough money to afford to do what we need to do with this space because even if we bought it for 375, there's still all of this construction that needs to happen. Yeah, it's not um, turnkey. It's not exactly right. You might be able to do a show in there or two, but like, we couldn't live in it. No. As it stood. The idea was really to have a live workspace, not to live somewhere right. and have 
have a theater that yeah. we were paying an, a second mortgage on that we couldn't afford. Right. Um, so it was kind of this weird uh, conflict period where it was like, God, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, well. Which we lived in for a really long time. And I guess be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode of The Bug House, triumphing over suckitude. Everything sucks. Banks suck. Architects suck. The Philadelphia office of the sheriff sucks. Lawyers for banks suck. Mortgage companies suck. But we can triumph over all of this suck. Maybe. You can find out more about The Bog House at boghouse.thehanna.org. The Bog House is recorded in the Hannah Callow Hill stage in Philadelphia. Our theme music is by Up Your Cherry. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review if you like what you hear. 